0: This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it is completely free. So join today at www.bonsaifilm. It takes just a few seconds. And once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter on Friday morning. It's that simple. Go to www.bonsaifilm to get Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives just like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails, just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So go to www.bonsaifilm to get Indie Insights for free.
1: Hi, my name is Florencia Lozano. I'm an actor and a writer. Uh, You may know me from One Life to Live uh, and or Narcos. And uh, I am currently uh, rehearsing a play in New York City for a company called Clubbed Thumb. It's part of their Summer Works uh, New Play Festival. And the play is called Spindle, Shuttle, Needle by Gabby Reisman. And um, I also have a Netflix series coming out this summer called Keep Breathing.
0: Florencia Lozano, welcome to the Make It Podcast. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. And I'll tell you what, um, you, you're so humble. You've done so, so much. And that was, uh, you know, a, a true challenge to keep that so tight and truncated in the beginning. And the audience is gonna know what I'm talking about here in a second, because I wanna give them a deeper sense of what your career's been like uh, over time. And I'm gonna read from a bio. And like I always say, this is the internet. So if you hear anything that's wrong or needs to be amended, just let me know. Okay. All right. Florenzia Lozano is an American actress that starred as Is it Tia Delgado. Atea Atea Delgado on the daytime series, One Life to Live. Her latest feature film is Life After You, in which she stars and co-wrote and is available now for rent or purchase on Apple TV. Additional credits include Keep Breathing, which she just mentioned, coming soon on Netflix. Other credits include Narcos, The Baker and the Beauty, Gossip Girl, Blue Bloods, Ugly Betty, Law and Order, SVU, and CI. The Mysteries of Laura, Madam Secretary, Kevin Can Wait, The Blacklist, and The Enemy Within. Her films include Amy Makes Three, Faraway Eyes, The Ministers, Perfect Stranger, which had a $24 million gross, by the way. Veronica Decides to Die. She's also a playwright. She does it all, folks. Her theater credits include Rents, Repeat, Devil of Choice, She Would Stand Like This, Mm -hmm. Winners. Red Dog Howls, Lady Macduff, Placebo, Privilege, Last Easter, Where's My Money, Mm -hmm. and Dirty Story. Florencia is a member of the Labyrinth Theater Company and Lab's literary manager. Her play, Underneath My Bed, was produced at the Rattlestick Playwrights Theater and won the Hispanic Organization of Latino Actors Best New Play Award in 2010. Her play, Busted, was produced by Rising Phoenix at Sino Nights, and her new play, Papi Lucho, is currently in development. Florencia was born in Princeton, New Jersey, to Eduardo, an architect, and Elizabeth, a Spanish teacher from Argentina. She grew up in Newton Center, Massachusetts, and transferred out of Cornell University to receive her Bachelor of Arts from Brown University, very studious, before moving to New York City to earn her Master of Fine Arts degree at New York University University's Graduate Acting Program at the Tisch School of the Arts, Florida, how was that?
1: Oh, I loved uh, NYU grad. Uh, in fact, you know, you you had given me some um, some things to think about for this interview, <laughs> and I kept thinking about my teachers there. I kept thinking about um, Bev Weidman who was our um, voice teacher. And she was instrumental in, in really uh, teaching us, making us aware of the importance of breath as an actor. Mm. Uh, um, and as, as a person, You know, oftentimes the lessons I've learned, and I've heard this from other artists in general, the lessons you learn in your craft are the ones that you need to learn in life. And, um, and I think a lot of people have the experience of holding their breath. So uh, what Bev taught um, was this very fundamental, um, I would say kind of the most important thing about performing in general is, is, is breathing and making sure that you are connected to, to breath.
0: That's really interesting. Um, we had, uh, an acting coach on here. Well, we've had several on here. And one of the things they talk about is breath. And another thing they talk about is, is a novice actor doesn't know what to do with their hands. Mm, and mm. that sometimes the best training for them is to put them alone in a room and see how quickly it takes them to find a wall to lean on mm. because they don't know how to stand in a room on their own mm-hmm. without that wall. Mm -hmm. And I always have found that I've never forgotten that I've found it so, so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to bounce around a lot because that's what we do on the make it podcast. So bear with me. We're going to go across the world uh, in the world of Florencia Lozano, which has is a really beautiful and fun world. It has a lot of dips, valleys, uh, rivers and streams. And uh, (laughs) having having spent the last couple of weeks in that world, uh, I just finished last night uh, the Beautiful movie, Life After You. You and Gary Perez have incredible chemistry uh, in that even though the two of you are grieving together throughout the majority of the film, I I found that it it really rang true. Uh, I want to give this audience a little sense of what this movie is about since I mentioned that you were grieving. Uh, It's a a movie that you star in. You co-wrote it with Sarah Schwab. But basically the storyline is uh, it it puts uh, drug addiction, fentanyl in particular, and heroin and the dangers of overdose sort of out on the front street. Uh, I am curious, have either you or Sarah had firsthand experience with addiction in your lives?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's—I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone <laughs> in the world today who doesn't know someone who struggles with addiction. And more and more people know people who have died of fentanyl. I mean, unfortunately, this is more um, more of an epidemic than it was when we um, when Charlene Giannetti um approached me about this story um but yes Sarah T Schwab who co-wrote it with me and is a director and is the director of life after you um she, I know she has had um very close people who she's lost to addiction and uh as have I as have I um and I do think that's the norm these days
0: unfortunately yeah, yeah I think it's Fascinating when we get out of our own bubble, because we are, I think as a people, we're naturally myopic. And a lot of times when you get into these (laughs) silly debates online with people or when you're going to lunch with family or friends, often what happens is we talk about an issue from our own experience and, and we talk about it as if that's consistent you know, for everybody that that's the global experience because that's how it was for us. And it's always fascinating when you actually get to see what the data on an issue is. And yeah. when you find out how many people have actually died, I mean, we all knew about Prince's fentanyl death cause he's Prince, but we yeah. never hear about the 10,000 kids in Vermont that died. <laughs> totally. Right. So totally. it's, I mean, these numbers are, are astronomical and, um, you know, just for full disclosure with the audience, we're we're recording this the same week of a absolute tragedy uh, at a school, elementary school, uh, down in Texas, and you you hear a lot of the gun uh, violence numbers, and one of the things that I thought was most illuminating that I wasn't aware of is the majority of those gun violence numbers are suicides. And so we have a suicide issue, yes, and we have a fentanyl issue, yes. And I think what would happen, Florency, if those are, are if those are symptoms, yes, of a bigger disease or yes. of some disease, which is maybe purposelessness,
1: yes, a feeling
0: of hopelessness, a feeling of yes. shame at scale because of social media, yes. Um, do you have any thoughts on on that?
1: Well, I'm really, I'm really glad that you are actually bringing, bringing up the intersection between all of these epidemics. Absolutely. I mean, I've I've had two friends um, who had um, nephews kill themselves in you know eighteen wow. year old boys, and it's just, I mean, that kind of it, that it's all the loss of a child is I I think um, probably there's few things worse than that, right? We're not supposed to die before our children die. That is an unnatural occurrence. And um, uh, it is something that no one should ever have to go through. Um, And as you said, I mean, I, I can't even, I feel paralyzed with grief and anger. And I don't, I know, about the shootings this past week and I I know that that's not useful and I'm I'm listening to like um I found Phil Murphy to be very um very inspirational because he was like no this is not the time to surrender to despair because it does feel overwhelming the yeah. fact that it just keeps happening but as with the fentanyl epidemic which is also continually happening. Um, as with, um, you know, what our kids in particular are going through, not that it's just young people, but you know, our job as adults (laughs) is to care for the next generation, to nurture them, to, to support them. And, um, and that's a big umbrella issue that, that this society needs to get better at. Um, you mentioned despair. Um, I think also in social media, I think isolation. Yeah. You know, the opposite of addiction is connection, right? The opposite of isolation is community. You know, how can we reach out and connect and listen? And and you also said um, purposelessness. I think that's really important too. You know, it's, it's, it's vital to know why you're here or to at least have some, um, some hope that there is a purpose that you serve on this planet. Right. And, you know, for me, storytelling has been such a useful venue.
0: Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so, it's so true. And I am, I am interested in and fascinated by how things are interconnected. My father worked his entire career in mental health and wow. I stood by uh, and grew up and watched those funds get cut over and over and over again until uh, that facility was, one tenth the size of it uh, of what it used to be. I guess when I was younger. Then you have the uh, the ban on um, clips. I think being uh, unregulated now. So it just those two things happening alone could explain a lot of this. Which is okay. If I'm if I'm mentally ill mm-hmm. in the '80s, I used to be able to stay at that mental hospital for a mm-hmm. very long time. 10 years. If I needed 20 years, uh, I, like I said, my dad did that. And I grew up (laughs) basically in a mental hospital (laughs) because I was at my dad's job a lot. And you got to know some of these patients, they lived there. And when that funding gets cut, basically they come in, uh, they get whatever treatment they can get. They get put back out. They're oftentimes, um, homeless or they're staying with some family member who regrets having them there. Yes. And they're very stressed out about it. The way the gun laws work at the same time, it's just a cocktail. And then you even reach back to the crack 80s and you think about all the children that were born in the inner cities when the Mm -hmm. streets are being intentionally flooded with with crack cocaine and illicit drugs. Yes. Those kids had children in the late 90s and early 2000s. That are now 18 19 today and those parents never got the help they needed so a lot of times you hear about uh, these shooters and uh, these people who do these heinous things but they oftentimes were abused neglected parents yes. were addicted to drugs absentee yes. um, fathers mothers and so it's never it's it's almost never the menendez brothers right <laughs> which right. which for anyone who doesn't know those were kids who grew up with tons of money and or I guess, born psychopathic because they just wanted their parents' money sooner than they were willing to, able to get it. Um, but, but at the same time, who knows how they were treated inside their house? I mean, money doesn't fix that. So anyway, I'm the tangent King. I get on tangents like this. Uh, let me get back on track because I do want to talk about, uh, life after you, which is, it's great. I curious how you met, uh, Linda Lauterman because uh, this this film was made from IP from her book. Yes, is that correct? So, how did you get in touch with her? How did you meet her?
1: So, um, I mentioned Charlene Gianetti, who's a journalist,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, had interviewed Linda Latterman for um, around the publication of um, "Life After You: What Your Death from Drugs Leaves Behind."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Charlene was so on fire after having talked to Linda about what happened to Danny in 2014 and Danny's her son, right? Danny is Linda's son who died of a fentanyl overdose in February, uh, I believe the twenty fifth of two thousand fourteen. Mm-hmm. In his childhood uh, home, in his in his bedroom, um, he OD'd there behind a locked door. His parents wanted to, you know, give him his privacy. Little did they know. I mean, they had no idea what he was doing back there. Mm-hmm. And um, Charlene had such fire in her belly. She had seen, she had um, known my work as an actor and she called me out of the blue. Uh, I think she emailed me even. And, uh, and she said, can we, um, can, can we meet? I'd like to talk to you about a project. And I immediately um, was drawn to her sense of purpose.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Her sense of mission. I was like, I'm on board. I, whatever, whatever, you need me to do to help tell this story. I felt in my gut, it was like, I can't turn this down. Um, neither of us had ever made a movie before.
0: <laughs> so how did that go? Cause I am, I am wondering what's the story behind your decision to star and co-write because well, yeah.
1: Well, Charlene wanted to make a movie of her, of Linda's book. And you know, life after you really is, uh, I, I would say inspired by Linda's book, um, it's it, it not so much you know a retelling, but um, what Linda does in her book is, um, I mean, really what she does in her book, it, it's it's a creed occur. It's a mother's, you know, in the middle of the night when she couldn't sleep, Linda started writing, um, "Life After You," her book as a Facebook post, which went viral, and you see that in the movie. Um, So it was really her writing out of a place of despair and need to connect. And she did connect. And she found incredible meaning in connection. And um, that became the book. And so Charlene wanted to amplify that story and get it out to even more people. That's why she said, let's make a movie. Um, I have uh, a friend who actually produced, um, my play underneath my bed at the rattlestick, uh, cause he was working there as executive director in New York city. And he was now in movie production. So he was the first person I called and I wow. said, Brian, Brian Long is his name. I said, would you, um, would you help me make this film? And, you know, we got kind of the perfect team on board. It was synchronicity. We kept feeling like the universe and maybe possibly even Danny really was working through us to make it possible for us to do. You know, what anyone who's ever made a film knows is almost (laughs) impossible. (laughs) It's as close to the impossible as you can get. The
0: ultimate collaborative (laughs) test. Yes. Yes,
1: mm. yes, yeah. and it's a challenge on on so many levels. You know, people always say it's the film you write. There's the film you write, the film you shoot, and the film you edit, and and each of those were um, were a lot of um, work. Uh, Sarah Schwab came on mm-hmm. as my co-writer, uh, who, uh, Brian and I both knew her. And, um, Got it. So
0: from right from the, from jump street, you were going to be starting and acting in this. Well, based on Charlene and Brian's involvement with you,
1: Charlene had come to me saying she was going to write the script mm-hmm. and would I, um, be in it. Um, Charlene didn't, necessarily want to write the script, but she didn't know any screenwriters. So she'll, she's like, I'll write it. Mm -hmm. You begin it. Yeah. And she wrote up an outline of the script. And, um, what I felt was that there might be a way to tell the story that was not so linear, like the events that happened after his, death, but more of an emotional journey, um, that had to do with how each person in the family grieved Um, because that's, that's more what Linda's book is about. It really follows the trajectory of every member of this family and how the grief separates them Mm -hmm. and isolates them and ultimately how they find their way back to each other. Um, and, and part of that idea, uh, I mean, you know, part of my desire to write the script was, uh, after I met Linda and talked to her. Got it. It was, you know, she said a lot of things that really sparked my imagination. And there were many drafts of this film that we did that went in many different directions. Mm. I mean, wildly different directions. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, which is oftentimes my process as a writer. I, as you said, go off, going off in tangents, I follow all kinds of different routes and... Um,
0: <laughs> Woman of my own heart. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And... Um, <sighs> One of the versions of it was actually a road movie because Linda had said that after her son passed, she talked to her son when she drove. Oh, wow, yeah. And so one of the titles of the film was Conversations We Never Had, and it was exploring, like, what would she have said to him now that she knew what he was going through? Um, and, And that found its way into the script. But I was really fascinated by this idea that she couldn't let him go for a long time yeah. uh, because she was so blindsided by, by what happened. And, and, and in some ways, she'll never let him go. He's her son. He will always be her son. And she will always be haunted by the life he never had.
0: Right. You now, know? And, and that whole talking to him in the car, that's a type of grief. Uh, when my mom passed in 2007, um, there were lots of different, that's when I really learned about grief that the real learning, not the stuff I got in the books I'd read about grief, but really seeing how people behave, how we measure each other by how much someone cries or doesn't, which is completely unfair or when they cry or what makes them cry. Um, for me, it wasn't talking to my mom. It was thinking about all the time, just having it on my mind on a regular basis, just thinking, oh, I wonder if she'd be alive today if I'd have told her about this particular thing uh, health-wise or this particular trick for staying healthy. And, you know, because her thing was she was overweight and, and that caused a lot of different problems. So, But it is absolute torture, Florencie, to do that to yourself because you cannot change it. And so you just rack your brain with all the things you you should have been smarter. You should have been more well-read. You should have had better solutions. You should have been more supportive. You There's nothing you can do. And so uh, I'm, I'm with her. I, I completely relate to that uh, for sure. Um, everybody go watch this movie. It's on mm-hmm. Apple TV. It's $4.99. <clears throat> $4. Go rent it. Say no to that dirty child one day. I know that's asking a lot. And go rent this movie instead. Um, I mentioned you uh, have parents with Argentinian and Spanish background. um, And you guys made that move to New Jersey, to the East Coast. Uh, What do Americans take for granted most, in your opinion?
1: Well, first of all, that they're the only ones called Americans. Uh (laughs) Uh, Well put. (laughs) <laughs> um oh gosh you know i think we're we're really realizing now what we have taken for granted we always thought oh this country has institutions that will safeguard our liberty, mm-hmm. that will that will keep in, our our democracy is a given. We have a democracy. We don't need to safeguard it. We don't need to on a daily basis work towards keeping it. Um, it could go away at any time, um, piece by piece, or all at once. You know, um, and. I think we've really been facing the reality of that in the past several years. Yes. Um,
0: I mean, not that she's perfect, by the way, but I, I like to say we're living in Randian times because all the things are in that book. And like I said, it's not a perfect book, but all the things that uh, were outlined in Atlas Shrugged literally are happening step by step. And it's like, ah, uh, this book's becoming prophetic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to alienate a bunch of people by bringing that up in the first place, but, and there are other books that are much better than it, much better prose, but I'm just saying it, it had some predictive qualities to it. And I think it's because she lived through the Bolshevik era where she had freedom and Liberty prior to that. And then it was all taken away and then she escaped to America.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you had mentioned earlier about, um, greed. Um, I think, I think greed is, is, um, I mean, you know, these political conversations, they really sit on the bedrock of, uh, sort of philosophical conversations about who we are, are we as humans? What yeah. is the human condition? What, what is our nature? Mm-hmm. Um, and society, as I understand it is meant to cultivate the best in us mm-hmm. and it's always a struggle, right? On a personal level and on a societal level. And, um, and I, I wonder, I don't know the answer, but I wonder if greed is really linked to our struggle with our personal ego, right? Mm-hmm. And our, our, our desire to, to, You know, I know that when I feel small, I have fantasies about my personal power. You know, everyone will, will, everyone will see me. Everyone will know I was right. And it comes from a place of feeling worthless and, um, defeated and undervalued. And that's what we do, or that's what I do. And I think I'm not alone as a human being in, um, in fantasizing a world in which I call the shots. And so it's a deep uh, personal and societal and systemic problem, how to get at the root of how can we surrender our egos? How can we love each other? You know, how can we create, um, love, uh, and I, and you know, I know that that's, it may sound sort of hippy dippy, but I, I kind of feel like it is, it is, it is, if, if I had to say one word, it would be, it would be love, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whether people call that God or whatever that word is, but that impulse of, um, knowing that we are, we are connected. We, we are, um, um it, it worries me a lot with 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 the gun lobby um which feels very based in greed but also this sort of um archetype of this this defensive posture yeah you know? this like don't take my gun away and i i have nothing against the second amendment and i i i respect that um You know, although that's open to interpretation, which if the Constitution really meant for each of us to be able to to bear arms, you know, as opposed to a militia. But apart from that, I think, you know, it and I and I don't know that it's as simple as a binary, but I do think we uh, in a metaphorical sense, we need to be able to to lay down our defenses to be vulnerable to each other. And that, and I don't know how to do that with so much fear. Like that's a real question I have. And I, and I guess I answer it with, 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 with stories. It's like stories allow us to lean in and you you use the word shame. Like shame is such a Big part of our fear. We are afraid to be seen. We are afraid. Oh my god, they're gonna find out that I am I am worthless, that I am horrible, that I did this thing. And the fact is, we are all imperfect. We all mess up, we all have done stupid things, and that is actually what unites us. We are we're humans, we're imperfect. So Telling stories that connect us and that make people go, oh my God, I'm not alone, is, um, is one possible way of trying to
0: bring people into the fold. Thank you for that. That's so uh, powerful and, and true. There's so much to dig into there. I, I highly recommend people looking up and purchasing the book, The Surrender Experiment. The author's first name is Michael. I can't remember his last name. I'll have uh, producer Elise put that in the show notes and uh, make that available to everybody listening. But it's a really good read. It's fast. It's important. And it will change your perspective uh, on a Alan Watts kind of level. So mm. um, yeah, definitely enjoy that. And uh, I agree with you, too, about the Second Amendment I think that there's no way we are being fair to the founding fathers because they could not of the country because they could not have known that we would have AR-15s. That makes all the difference in the world. The difference between being able to have a gun that can be used to defend yourself versus a gun that is sort of a, a can mow people down in seconds is a totally different thing. They would have written that differently. I, I personally, I just believe they would have written that differently if sort of weapons of mass death were able to be in the hands of of each person. Now, the flip side of that is, and I, I've heard this from, from some really smart people, is that one of the reasons there will never be a land war in the United States is because we are the only country where uh, the majority of the citizenry is armed. So, when you come on to our shores to to fight uh, americans you would fight our army and the people in the streets uh-huh. it would be it would be a, a slaughter right so there'll never be a foreign ship come to our shores as long as our citizenry is armed so there's this mm-hmm. give and take in this tug of war but i still right. contend there's a disease behind all of it that we're yeah. not addressing because the disease makes too much money and we cannot take away the disease, um, it's kind of like reading financial documents for fast food companies and you hear them talk about the breakfast segment and and what are we going to do? Like, uh, they had this really, uh, good breakfast segment and now the pandemic happened and we don't. And you, you read that stuff as an investor, for example, and you're like, but fast food breakfast kills people. It's really bad food. It's barely food. It's like ultra processed, right? and uh like mcdonald's and chick-fil-a um i used to always joke they sprinkle crack on their food that's why they have lines are around the block but the yeah. crack is sugar they put it actually in their chicken they put it in their buns they put it in, they find a way to put sugar in almost uh. every item they sell and uh. we're very addicted to sugar because yes. because genetically um and this is not a health podcast but genetically uh, we sugar was so scarce so when our bodies taste it, it's like, wow, I want more of that because I'm not going to get much glucose, which translates into energy, right? So, so we look at that as investors and say, okay, they have like the new breakfast tacos. Look at that. It has a thousand calories in it. That's going to sell like hotcakes has a ton of sugar. Boom. Perfect. Let's invest in that. It makes us all a bunch of money without looking at the level above. It says, yeah, but they're kind of selling poison. You know, so that's, that I believe is the disease is whether it be social media, fast food, whatever you name it. I think the things that hurt us, we know they hurt us. We wreck, we do, we're smarter than that. We, we're not the the dumb citizens. I think our politicians think we are, we're smart. We know what's going on. We just can't help ourselves. Mm -hmm. And those things that hurt us make us feel good. And they also make a a ton of money. And so how do we solve it? That's, that's really uh, the question. Um, Yes. Have you ever taken a trip back to Argentina with your entire family to visit your parents' hometown?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I have, um, actually I've never been there with my dad. That's interesting. Oh, my man. Parent, you know, I've never been there with my dad. Um, my parents are from two different cities in Argentina. My mom is from Rosario, okay. my dad is from Cordoba. And uh my mom's family is all still there, but my father's isn't uh, My dad has some relatives in the north in Salta uh, Tucuman, but um and so I've visited his his relatives, but I've never been there with him.
0: <sighs> it's interesting. Your dad has incredible intense eyes by the way uh, he's like I looked at a picture of him he stares right through your soul even through uh, the photograph really <laughs> <Yeah. Yes>. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, if we go to Argentina, what's one thing we need to do?
1: Have un asado criollo, Ooh. which is a, a barbecue. Um, they do meat there, as I'm sure most people know. Um, but they, um, well, they start out with choripan, which is chorizo, mm-hmm. uh, and bread. To start out the the whole <laughs> yeah.
0: to start out the whole barbecue. So fast and, before you go.
1: They, oh my God, yes. And they eat every part of the of the cow. So um, you know, sweetbreads, the pancreas, the all of the organs. Yeah. Um they love meat there with a good red wine and bread outside with Ooh, family.
0: Yeah. Yes. Okay, I'm convinced. Yes. Uh, producer Elise, uh, please uh, book flights for us to <laughs> Argentina right after this uh, conversation ends. Oh, that sounds that sounds amazing. And I look, I do believe you know you have to balance how much meat you eat, but I love. I love me some barbecue, so I would I would totally be there. I do want to dig in a little bit more in your origin story and how you got started because you know your mom and dad were educators and and architects. You have a sister that's a pediatrician in public health. You have another sister that's a prosecuting attorney. Yes. How did you uh, become a creative? What was your inspiration to become the creative of the family, mm-hmm. and what was that like? from the perspective of your parents and your siblings?
1: I, I am the youngest of three. And um, I always think about the fact that um, I found space for myself on stage performing. Mm-hmm. Um I uh I oftentimes found it hard to compete with my older sisters. They were further <laughs> along. They were you know, we used to race, the three used to race down our driveway when we were kids, and um yeah. I invented two imaginary friends, Sammy and Fanny, who would always come in after me because I was always last and I would console them and tell them it was okay that they were last. And, you know, because I, I, that was my way of, um, consoling myself. Cause I felt mm. like I had to keep up. I had to keep up and, um, and the stage was a place where I felt like I had the room, I had the spotlight, I had the space to, um, not only, not only express myself, but also to feel, mm. um, I, I had a lot of anxiety growing up, mm-hmm. um, I, I developed a panic disorder and when I was a kid and um I didn't know what to do with my emotions that felt overwhelming. Yeah. So it was very comforting to be able to play, to put on a mask and actually reveal. It's the paradox of acting is yes, you're putting on, you're stepping into another character's shoes, but in some ways you're revealing yourself through that character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I found that to be, and I could also be parts of myself that felt um, I could be, you know, as, as a girl, you know, growing up, I, I felt like I had to be nice and pretty and kind and quiet and all and pleasing. And on stage, it, I could be angry. I could be ugly. I could be uh, messy. I could be, you know, um, and that was just um, kind of, it kind of saved
0: me. I think that's really powerful because I, you know, I look at my sort of experience as a father and I have a 21 year old who just graduated college. I have a 19 year old and I have a 12 year old. Oh, wow. And when my oldest daughter was growing up, I would always tell her to be graceful and to be beautiful. And the things you said, Because, you know, I was, you know, very conscious of the way I would be perceived Mm -hmm. mostly in business if my children were ratchet (laughs) and doing all kinds of stuff. But I look back in that and say, you know, that, that probably was the wrong approach. Mm -hmm. And what I should have said is, I just want you to know when you need to be graceful. Yeah. and all those things, um, mixed company, that kind of thing. Right. But, you know, when that's not the case, you know, you're not on going on a trip with, with daddy somewhere for work, be you do what you want to do, do it how you want to do it, be free and, and and have fun. And, you know, I've corrected that with, with my youngest daughter, but, um, mm. but I, but you saying that reminded me that I used to preach that stuff. And, I don't think it was helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was helpful. I think it was about me and not about her. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Parenting doesn't come with an instruction manual, Florencia. <laughs> you you don't get the you don't get to know what the right moves are in advance. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that's certainly certainly the truth. Um I'm curious
1: Good, good oh, for go you. For, good for you for, for admitting where like, oh wow, maybe I could have made a different choice. Like, I don't know, did you hear Jimmy Kimmel? Did you hear Jimmy Kimmel's thing?
0: Our, he, one of our researchers watches Jimmy Kimmel religiously, and I and I don't. Tell me what he said.
1: You gotta watch it. He he wept. The man wept talking about what happened in Osvalde. And he, he appealed directly to politicians, and he said, look, to the Republican senators who are blocking legislation, he's like, It's okay to admit you're wrong. Yes. It's okay, you know, and again, ego, you know, we, we are so concerned with appearing wrong, having made a mistake, done the wrong thing. We have to humble ourselves to go, I messed up. Yep. And I will do. That's life is learning. And I can't think of a job. Parenting is the generosity to me of being a deciding to become a parent is the agreement is you will mess up and you will mess up in a big way Yeah, because you are a parent, which is the most important job in the world. So having the humility to be like, I know I'm going to do this wrong at times and I'm still going to do it. I mean, that's, that's all we can ask of each other is to try. And that when you know that you've messed up to say, um, wow, I messed up. Um, so that other people can see that that's okay to do that, you know?
0: Yep. So it's one of the the tricks, uh, you learn, uh, as you get older, which is you actually get more favor in life from that universal God you talked about and, and from people all around you. Uh, when you are accountable and responsible, we're afraid of that because that means we took the blame. That means we're goofy. That means we're dumb. That means we're, should be ashamed of ourselves. That means we're POSs or whatever, but ultimately people need to know that you can do that. And then once they do that, they're like, once you do that, they realize they can trust you. We go, he'll, he or she will, will own it. Yeah. It's huge. So, you know, any of those, uh, People that Jimmy Kimmel was speaking to, if you're listening to this, just own it. It's okay. It's okay. We're not going to kill you for it. Nope. I'd love to get into a little bit of tools and tactics with you Mm -hmm. uh, because there are so many aspiring or currently uh, working actors uh, listening to this conversation, listening to this podcast And this has come up a lot, so I wanted to make sure I asked this of you. How has being a writer and a filmmaker uh, and succeeding at those things helped you overcome your own fears and anxieties?
1: Mm. You know, I'll, I'll be really honest. There were so many times during the making of life after you, the writing of it, the making of it—that I thought, this is never going to happen. I—I I don't know what I'm doing. This is going to be, you know, what am I? You know, I would beat myself up. I would, um. And it's, you know, what what the process of making something teaches you is—you gotta you gotta mess up a lot. You gotta yeah. make a lot of mistakes. Your job as someone making something is to make mistakes, to try something before you know if it'll work or not. Like, that's kind of the fun part is like, oh, that didn't work. What that, Oh, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. You know, um, so it, te- it taught me humility. And it gave me tremendous faith. I'm like, wow, we did it we did it. Uh, we, we made something and people are responding to it and where there wasn't something there before we made the decision to create it together, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, um, the relationships that I have now with Sarah, with Brian, with Charlene, the experiences we have with Linda Latterman, with her family, um, in Danny's memory, uh, make me feel, um, give meaning and purpose to my life. Yeah, They're the reason that I go, Oh, like, that's why I chose to take this path. Cause I have something to offer and it can, it can help.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. Yeah, I have a close friend who just made the move to Los Angeles and it's everything he's ever wanted but now that he's gotten everything that he's ever wanted, he has to put up or shut up and it's given him anxiety.
1: Yeah.
0: So it's kind of like this kiss of death thing that we do to ourselves, but it's all up here in our head. And we just, I think you work through it by, like you said, make those mistakes and then find what works. And then finally you you can kind of be at ease. Uh, You cut your teeth as an actor, actress on one life to live, one of the greatest soaps of all time. And what people don't know is that like on soaps or maybe some know, but I feel like they don't, uh, soaps get shot every single day. You're shooting an entire script in one day. It's a full thing. It's 60, sometimes pages, sometimes up to 70 pages in one day. So why don't soap actors get more respect?
1: Um, but- i wanna i wanna i wanna say one thing too about what you just said about um making mistakes uh helps you to learn um and to overcome that um the beating yourself up also a lot of self-compassion a lot oh, yes. of self forgiveness you know the way we talk to ourselves the way we um is really the way we talk to other people too i mean um you know it's it's all the same thing and um i've written enough and uh, cuz with writing it really comes up but also with acting um a lot of negative self talk and um learning to come back to like talking to myself in a way that I would talk to my best friend. Like, it's okay. Like I literally say that out loud to myself. (sighs) It's okay, Florencia. It's okay. You're doing, you're doing great. Like, you know, so I can hear my own compassion for myself, for this, for this, you know, sometimes it's like this old self, this little girl that needs to be told, you know, I love you. You know, I I love you and breathe, you know, and so I encourage people like loving yourself is as you know, as an artist, but I'm an artist, so I know it from that. But I think in general, we need to learn how to truly uh, take care of our hearts, of our souls, of our insides, you know, as well as our outsides too, but know that no matter what we are, um, we are love, we are here to love and be loved. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're trying as hard as we can, Yeah. Um, all of those things, um, I am so grateful for soaps. Um, I the the more work I do in this industry, as you said, like after doing seventy pages a day, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm on an episode of of, of Blacklist and we're doing seven pages, and people are like, oh my god, I'm like, we got this. I think we, can do this. we can definitely, <laughs> yeah. I mean, even now with this process of this uh, play um, which is an abridged process. And there's, um, there's stage combat, there's dancing, there's singing. I know what it is to, well, as you said, in the beginning of the conversation, myopic, I know what it is to get very, you know, you know, myopic and put my nose to the grindstone and, um, in the face of like, Oh my God, we go up in less than two weeks. Oh my God, there's going to be an audience. Um, Being on a soap just teaches you get up to bat and start swinging, start swinging at those balls and, you know, make a choice, do something, make a mistake, but like, don't be afraid because um, that's what this is. It's, it's fast. It's um, furious. It's not going to be perfect but, uh, get on that horse and, and ride it.
0: How did you actually a better question might be what methods did you find most effective to prevent burnout while you were on the show?
1: I mean, one thing I would tell, I would tell people, and, and I know that I took, I found this advice really harder to take when I was younger. I mean, I really had not started doing it in, in, the last few years is, um, find a place of stillness and quiet. Um, meditation. Uh, I tried to meditate when I was in my twenties and I knew I needed to, but I, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't bear it. Yeah. I literally, I couldn't bear the, I couldn't bear
0: just what, being, was myself. it transcendental?
1: Um, I would like to learn transcendental. Yeah. I really would. I'd, I'd love to further my journey. I, I plan to cause it's I would say that it is my spiritual practice now is meditation Mm -hmm. Um, because it's like it's coming back to peace and no matter how much is going on outside living in the city doing 70 pages having to it's finding a place of quiet inside which actually does exist yeah um, so it, you know, any way that people can find that, um, working out to release, you know, release anxiety, release, you know, working out is really important too, because, um, it makes you physically stronger. Yeah. Uh, it, it makes you uh, able to endure longer hours. Uh, it makes your sleep better, uh, eat well, eat fruits and vegetables, drink water, like all those things that we all know how to do. Um, they, they really make a difference on a day to day level when you're having long days.
0: Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And, um, for those who want to start a meditation journey, I think the book autobiography of a Yogi is a great place to start. And I've found that, you know, there's a hundred great apps, I'm sure, but, um, I actually knew one of the, the, the co-developers of this app called Sattva. So S A T T V A. Uh, so I like it, uh, tons of guided meditations. Um, there are, like I said, there's a lot of great apps, but, uh, if anyone's looking to start their journey, uh, I think Sattva has worked for me. It should work for, for you as well. Uh. The only fans quite as notorious as like wrestling fans are soap fans. (laughs) So they really kind of track the characters intensely. So how did you protect your peace of mind while still satisfying your fans?
1: You know, the truth is I really didn't go on social media a lot um, when I was on the soap. Like when I first went on and I was paired with... Todd, um, I never knew that I was sort of getting in the way of a super couple. I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know the term super couple I was like, what is what is that? you know I, I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. Uh, in certain cases, ignorance can be bliss and I think when it comes to I saw someone with a, um, a baseball hat yesterday that said hype kills. And I thought, Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, oftentimes the machine of, um, I mean, and it's oftentimes linked to money, making money. It's like, you know, what's in, and, you know, what are people saying? And, um, I don't pay a lot of attention to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I didn't when I was on the soap, I, so I didn't get any of the negativity of like, I can't believe she's breaking up because yeah, I didn't know <laughs> what was happening.
0: <laughs> you know? we, I, we learned this the hard way. We had CJ Perry who played Lana in the WWE uh, star in one of our movies, uh, the movie, Another Version of You. Uh, you can watch that anywhere you watch great movies. And what we didn't realize is that, she was about to enter a script, a part of the scripting of the show, where she cheats on her husband with this other wrestler and actually leaves the husband. And uh, there was all this tension involved. And the wrestling people are super smart because, you know, CJ's uh, Eastern European, but she presents white. And the guy she's with that she cheats on the husband with, Rusa is a black guy. And so they know they're smart about it. And they're like, so the kind of stuff that we saw on social media was unbelievable. I don't know how she, I guess she just puts on the blinders too, because she's super on social media all the time, but, but just hearing completely vile things uh, all the time. And none of it's real. And it, and it, and it hurt our movie a little bit, to be honest, Uh early on because they wouldn't, they wouldn't watch it because they were mad at, at this character, they think that the mo- they think that the wrestling is real. I was just dumbfounded and totally shocked by it. <laughs> like, yeah. un- un- so, so for those looking to produce, executive produce, invest in a film, all that good stuff. Uh, and you have someone like that in your, in your film, that's one of those things that can blindside you that you might not be aware of. That you need to be aware of. Um you often play, and I think it's because you're a badass, but you often play detectives, cops, lawyers. And uh I was curious if you could tell me who Irma Rivera was and, and how um, she helped you. Um Irma Rivera Duffy. Oh my God. See, that's the thing I love
1: being, about being an actor is you get to, you get to meet people that you might never meet before. Um, yeah. And I am impressed that you bring her up. That's some <laughs> deep cut research right there. Um, so I was playing, I, I ended up playing a lot of cops in my, um, in my career, which it surprised me. Yeah. <laughs> You know, um, it really, especially because really, you're so funny. <sighs> well, you know, I, I it, it's funny.
0: Uh, I would love look, to see you in a comedy. This is a comedy and it's, well, I can't wait to see it because you're funny. so
1: much fun. Um, but so I was cast in perfect stranger, the Bruce Willis, um, Halle Berry movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought, all right, I need to, um, learn what it is to be a homicide detective, At the time I was living um, on East 25th and 3rd Ave in Manhattan Mm -hmm. and the precinct was right around the corner from me. So I went there, I went up to the desk and I asked um, if there were any female homicide detectives who could speak to me. (laughs) And there wasn't at the time but they said that um, Irma was there and that she was going to um, get in touch with me. Mm -hmm. We ended up hanging out. She took me on ride alongs. Um, she, uh, brought me up to the precinct and she taught me how to basically arrest someone, wow. um, using my voice down on the ground, like re- that overpowering voice so much so that when we were, rehe- when we were rehearsing cops came upstairs cause they thought something was going on.
0: <laughs> so yeah, that's, yeah. That's amazing. Um, I'd love to uh, take you through a quick uh, speed round and then get you out of here if that's okay. Okay. Sure, Um, sure. What are the two best pieces of advice you've received in your career and who did they come from?
1: So I had a beloved teacher and mentor at NYU. His name was Paul Walker. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. And she told us, um, don't ever forget, you get to do this. Mm. And I guess that has to do with gratitude. Like, you know, when you're tired and you, ha- you don't have a break and you're working long hours, it's like, wait, 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 wait. I get to be an actor. I get to play. I love to do this. It reminds me of that. And that's really important. Cause that's, that is the reward. It's not the money. It's not the fame. It's the joy.
0: Um, totally agree.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the other one really would be um, <laughs> uh, remember to breathe, remember, mm. you know, check in with your breath, follow your breath. And this is in life it's an acting, you know, when things get really intense, remember, you know, your body is taking care of you. you inhaling, exhaling, unless you are clenching, let go like that. That can quickly ground you um, to stay with your breath.
0: Who's your favorite actor, not named Florencia Lozano. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Um,
1: Oh my gosh. I love Janet McTeer. Um, I saw her in a doll's house on Broadway and I'll never forget that. Um, the last moments of it where she's leaving, I, I had this sensation. It was almost like a religious experience where I felt like the whole audience speaking of breathing is that we were one person. Wow. And, and that is, yeah, that is what theater can do is like, I felt such a connection, like I was holding hands, or literally, like part of the same breathing organism. As we witnessed this, you know, imaginary moment, she brought such truth to it that it was as if we were all with her Mm. and with each other. And I I will never forget that
0: moment. That's amazing. Sounds Sounds like she transcended the actual show itself in that moment which is yeah. so powerful you you know i would imagine that would be like surfing a giant wave where yes. where it's not the size of the wave you feel it's the power behind you that you feel that's pushing you forward yeah. uh because the water is so powerful in a way that you never felt or or could not possibly uh, imagine you've touched every part of this industry. So I have to know what are the biggest business and creative mistakes you see newcomers making?
1: That, that is, that is a, that is a good question. Um, you know, I think a lot of actors, um, make the mistake when they're going, when they're auditioning for a part that they're trying to be what the person, what the casting is looking for, Mm -hmm. as opposed to knowing that the casting is looking for them. Yeah. So you tell them who they're looking for, not the other way around. They don't know oftentimes till you walk in the door and you say, this is who this character is because this is who I am. And this is what I can bring. And they're like, And then they rewrite the character. I mean, I I went in for Perfect Stranger, and she was written, I was 28 or something at the time. I don't remember how old I was, but I was still in my 20s. She was written as a 40-year-old black woman. (laughs) And I thought, well, I have nothing to lose, and I really like this part. So I wore boots. Mm -hmm. I wore, like, uh, big hiking boots. And I went in and I manced and I, I just, I was like, I get to play this like badass, you know, uh, aggressive. And, and Bruce Willis was actually there at my callback, which I was really surprised at. But uh, I think I went in and, sh- and owned the part. yeah and That's what I would say to actors. You show them what they're looking for. Don't try to be what they're looking for.
0: That's super powerful. That is going to be so helpful to everyone listening. And, you know, this conversation has been so incredibly helpful. I love having a conversation where I come in thinking I know something and coming out of it, learning so much more. And uh, this this fit the bill. Can, Can you tell everyone where they can find you on social media, on the internet, where they can even see some of your work?
1: Um, absolutely. Uh, my Instagram is all lowercase. It's my name with a, um, what's that called? An underscore underscore.
0: You know? Yeah. Underscore. <laughs> 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 it's uh,
1: Florencia underscore Lozano lowercase. Um, I am on Facebook as well. Um, as Florencia Lozano. Um, and I, I want to thank you for like, just such a lovely conversation about so many things. Um, and I really appreciated that you let us talk about what everybody's thinking about and how that connects to, um, you know, my work, uh, uh, because it doesn't feel right to not talk about the deaths that occurred this week and what we're going to do about it.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. And, uh, I, I never want to try to fool this audience. Um, this is, audience is full of people who are eager to learn and get better. And, uh, I don't want to sort of purposely ignore something. I, I do want this to be a bit of entertainment for sure. And maybe a distraction from the real world at times, but, uh, I also don't want to try to pull the wool over this audience. Uh, so, so thank you for reciprocating that. And I think we can end on this um, and this might not go anywhere at all, but I, I just read that um, a, a co-star of yours, uh, Marnie Schollenberg, died uh, just this week at, at age 37. Uh, <laughs> did, uh, she did you know her and, and are there any stories you can share about her?
1: I, 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 didn't know her and I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, uh, I, my heart goes out to her and her family. Um, I, I did not know that.
0: Yeah. She's, uh, she was on the original and the reboot in 2013. And, um, my understanding is that it was just a misdiagnosis by the doctors. They thought she had, uh, sort of, uh, a breastfeeding infection and they just kind of let it pass. And then it aggressively, uh, turned into stage four breast cancer. Uh, so, uh, I just didn't want to, that happened this week. So I, di- mm-hmm. I didn't want to also, again, not bring up something obvious, Absolutely. um, if, if it meant something to you, but I, I appreciate that and, and the candor on that as well. So, um, we can all read about that. Like you said, yes. uh, certainly way too young, 37, that oh my breaks God. my heart. And uh, if uh, anyone in her family or friends or anyone that knew her is listening, um, prayers, thoughts, and, and love go out Absolutely. to you f- for sure. And uh, I think that's kind of the theme that might end up being the name for this entire conversation. And I'll take it back to what you said, uh, you know, it's simple, but significant. And the word is love. So I love this conversation. Uh, I know we're going to be in touch soon. And if you're up to it, I'd love to do a round two. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Anytime. I'll talk to you soon. Have a fun rehearsal. Thank you, honey. All right. Be good. Bye. Hey gang, one more thing before you go, I want to talk to you about Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like you worldwide. And the best part is that it's completely free. So, Join today at www.banzai.film. It just takes a few seconds, and once you sign up, you'll get the very next newsletter. It's that simple. Go to www.banzai.film to get indie insights, our bi-weekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives like yourself. And don't worry, we'll never sell your information or spam you with a bunch of nonsense emails, just the bi-weekly film industry goodness you need. And if you ever tire of Indie Insights, we hope not, but if you do, simply unsubscribe. No gimmicks, no games. So one more time, go to www.banzai.film to get Indie Insights for free.